Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning and hello once again. It's Coach Chuck Creasy. Another week of American tennis. And it's almost Christmas. Two weeks from right now, we got Christmas already, and it's very, very hard to believe it, but uh, we're getting that time of year right now where it's a little bit of break for we coaches. Uh, and I'm just saying this because with our programs, I am trying very uh, diligently, working diligently to try to figure out what is the best messages that we as coaches can send out there to parents, coaches, teachers, you youngsters who listen to this program. We are already, if you can believe this, at our Seventh, we're in our eighth year, but we've already completed seven years of American tennis. But as you know, I always prompt you to say, stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said, stick up for American tennis. We we need, dang on it, we need each and every each and every one of you take care of your circle of influence there, whatever's around you, that youngsters around you. But come on, let's go. We've got to make American tennis great again, and. Uh, you know, and bring it. We've got to bring it. But uh, anyhow, so that's what we're trying to do today's program. We have got a special program for you today because we've got two excellent coaches, mentors of young people, leaders that are going to make a big, big difference and already are with with our youngsters. But as uh, the series, what I'm trying to do, folks, is to come up with a series uh, about pursuing excellence and what that really means. Um, for several years now, I've talked to the players about working for mastery over success. I say success will come. If you chase success, it's uh, chasing the product instead of the process. <clears throat> it usually turns out badly one way or another. And, but if you chase chase excellence and chase mastery first before success, then what happens is you have a good chance 
of reaping many more benefits than you think, but also you're, you stay humble and giving credit to other people and to the good Lord for bringing you those opportunities, you know. But that's the program today, and we've got two guests I want to bring on. Um, we've got Coach Gaston Murray and Coach Dave Fosnott here. And first, a little pump a little sunshine toward these guys, but both – both men are college coaches, have been college coaches, have been travel coaches. They've coached at every level. They worked at, from the club level to player development level. They worked with college players, your youngsters, young people, and basically they're just great young men. So welcome, Gaston. Coach Murray's here. And uh, Coach Fosnott, I, we have you on the program, on the, on the line there. Yep, I'm on here. All right, great, great. So I've been through the outline a little bit, sort of what we want to do, but let me just open that up. Um, I, I want to open it up right away. And, you know, we always, with with what we're talking about each week, we usually say you name it, then you claim it, then you tame it. You don't. Uh, in our society today, we pretty much name it, uh, rearrange it, <laughs> and then we blame it if it doesn't work out. But let's Let's start out by naming what we're trying to do. And I talked, I spoke last week or two weeks ago about how the epidemic of tweenerism is is uh, just really alive and well with our youngsters. And I've all and I often say to leaders now, I say that our youngsters don't really pursue excellence. What they are doing is they want to do well enough to not look bad, but really the work that they need to do, they're not pursuing the excellence. Uh, Coach Murray, what, what's your thoughts there? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say for me, when I started playing tennis or was introduced to the sport, it was just a really a matter of me uh, needing to develop better mental toughness skills. I wasn't in it for, you know, fame, glory, or anything like that. But once I started to develop a passion for it, when I started uh, watching guys like Andy Roddick, who was really, in my opinion, the last guy to hold the fort down for American tennis, a guy who worked hard tirelessly. And I was motivated by that. And I was able to step into an unknown, if you say, uh, for my tennis career at a young age. It wasn't about, you know, trying to win all these tournaments, getting rankings, getting trophies, anything like that. Um, it turned into success, but it started out with embracing the unknown and working adequately towards a goal. And so what I mean by that is I had to take a leap of faith, even at a young age with my dad, and say, you know what, we're going to do this, and we're not going to worry about all the other outcomes that may come along with it. I'm just going to trust the process. And just the learning day. tool, the great learning tool that it was in being in love with the sport of tennis. Right. I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with the players. I fell in love with the history of the game. I fell in love with the rules of the game. I fell in love with myself and playing it. I think that's what's missing in especially junior tennis. People are coming out there, you know, signing up for tournaments and parents think, hey, my kid's going to be this great player. But does your kid love the game? Well, you, you said something, uh, though, about your father. Your father pretty much introduced you to the sport in that way, 
and that this this is going to help you as a man to grow to mature, right? I right. mean, it was it was so that had a lot to do with it, correct? Yeah, yeah. So my success on the tennis court brought me a lot of success off the court as well. We weren't in this mindset of just accomplishing things just because we're going to join the sport of tennis because everyone knows tennis itself is so hard. Whether you're a coach, player, or parent, uh, the game of tennis, um, even in my um, estimation, is the hardest thing to kind of comprehend when you're trying to go through the ranks of anything, whether you're a player, coach, or parent. Um, you have to lose so much, too, which right. complicates it, which knocks a lot of people out of the box. Losing's tough, too. I mean, I remember when I was eight years old, I signed up for my first tournament, and I won it. For most people, it doesn't happen that way. And then I play more tournaments, and I lose more than I win. But I stood the course. I stood the test of time. And then before I know it, I win a state championship in high school. I get a Division One scholarship to North Carolina Greensboro. So it takes years and years of work to take a leap of faith and embrace the unknown. I think juniors don't want to do that. Parents don't want to do that. They just want to put their kids out on the court and say, hey, just give me success, but it doesn't work that way. And parents often say, too, I'm investing this much money to the pro to happen, and the coach, the pros and the coaches get into a mindset of, wow, we better tell this parents what they want to hear. We're going to lose that paycheck, too. Coach Fosnott, both of you guys were – College players, University of South Carolina, and then UNC Greens, University of North Carolina, Greensboro there. So you understand, I mean, the one thing that I love having you on the road, on the program here is you, you both can relate to what it felt like when you were coming up, but then also now that you're in coaching and now that you're in leadership roles with young people, you – you can relate much more to what's going on. And, and I, I've just got to tell you, I came from a different generation. So talk a little bit about what your thoughts are and um, some of the things what you, you're seeing and how you relate to the youngsters with what's going on now. Um, so some of the things I've been seeing, uh, especially on the road, and it kind of goes off of what Gaston was talking about with the work ethic, where that's what kind of brought him into the game. Where it's, where it's missing is, like, for instance, I'll give an example. I was in Florida uh, not too long ago, and we got there on a Friday, and within from Saturday to Monday, only played three total matches. And that was because they have a match limit to where you can only play two matches per day um, unless it's within shortened scoring. And that – one thing I remember back in the juniors when you're coming up, being able to play those three matches in a day and get through three tough matches was it was like a <laughs> knock on your belt. It was a big – it felt like a big deal, and it was a big deal. Um, you lose one, you have to fight through the back draw, or the whole thing of just fighting through something and being proud of the work you had to put through to get to the next level. A lot of those situations have been taken out of tennis – now for the last six, seven years, and it's it's created a hole where you don't have to work as hard because of, I mean, within the rules or however the thing is being laid out, it's um, we're starting to miss that point. Um, well, let's hit on that a second here. The rules that are being put down 
uh, <clears throat> Coach Murray Gaston, you worked for Jay Berger recently. Who uh, you guys, you all were working with some very top players. But I remember his work as director of men's tennis for the USTA. He would tell me that the handcuffs that are put on players now is unbelievable. Um, we have a lot of lawyers, but we have also people making the decisions who are administrators, who are not coaches, number one. I brought up last week, uh, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but a great scene from the movie Ford versus Ferrari was when Matt Damon got Henry Ford into the race car, and he drove him 100 miles an hour for about a minute, and he was literally in shock and crying almost Henry Ford was and he said I never knew I never knew what it was like I never knew what it was like and Matt Damon looked at him and said well you've got to trust me to do this job and I think coaches are not being trusted by administrators to do the job that they're supposed to do everybody's erring on being so cautious we've turned our sport into an after-school activity you know, Coach, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say, I guess, even from the basis of college training and playing at the collegiate level, and Dave probably knows this too, my freshman year, I remember coming in, and you pretty much know the rules as a tennis player and how, how the format is. And the college format was different in 2012 than it is obviously now in 2019 getting ahead into 2020 where you play two out of three sets uh, with ad scoring. It wasn't any short format. Weekends, I was playing, I don't know about you, Dave, but I was playing three out of five sets, challenging my guys or my, my teammates every other day. And that's what it was all about. But now it's come to a reality of <laughs> now where we don't even have almost the luxury of challenging each other anymore. Coaches aren't on the court as much as they want to be. Uh, players aren't getting the court time that they want. So I think even working with Jay, I learned a lot from him because he reminded me of the reality of uh, pushing yourself, going the extra mile when we were working with uh, junior players or Riley Opelka. Uh, there's really never a moment where – Yeah, you got to help Jay that. with Riley Opelko there. Yeah. So you saw – how a professional player pushes himself and how the coach is supposed to push the professional player, right? Right. And it's not like my college coach didn't uh, push us to work hard. That was always our goal. But I think the unfortunate thing is sometimes if everybody's not on the same mission and you don't have a maybe a coach or maybe players who are not willing to put in the work like a pro, uh, uh, dreams, uh, visions for what you want to accomplish uh, often die. So I think I suggest or say to any junior or college player that's listening to this or parent or coach, when you're training your junior or with you with your son and daughter, uh, encourage them to give the best and go the extra mile when they are training because they don't get that time back. Especially in college seasons, they go re by really fast. Really, really fast. I guess, Coach uh, Fosnot, Dave, what 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 um, I see, there's just a lack of depth of understanding from the leaders 
about what it takes to have excellence. Now, we we cannot brag about our results in the USA, uh, especially on the men's side in the last 20 years since Andy Roddick. We, we really cannot. Um, we've got wonderful people out there that are pushing the edge of the envelope. And as Stevie Johnson, I mean, my gosh, John Isner, what a great champion he is. I love to see what Tennis Sangren is doing, that he's worked his way all the way from his spot on the University of Tennessee's team to getting better and better and better. And he's been a journeyman out there setting a good example. But we're, we're not on the world stage being the United States of America. We're the greatest country in the world. We have been. We've always dominated in sports and everything. But, you know, we're naming it what's going on here. And I guess, you know, we want to claim it. But we're talking a lot about the same thing here. Do you see, do you think it's as simple as our administrators putting handcuffs on the coaches and the teachers? Well, very much like public education. You talk to a teacher right now, they're so frustrated. They are, you know, they're pods and, you know, they're plugs in a hole and just doing work that they're dictated to do. Most of them say they aren't coaching. So what are your thoughts, Dave? Um. No, and I see a lot of that as well. But as, as far as trying to bring it back to, we're thinking like when I guess when Roddick Roddick was coming through, and then you had all your great champions of old within the U.S. The way things, way tennis has changed in the country itself is in those times. And I remember as well when I was coming up. So this is more recent, where local and state champions mattered. Uh, doing things within your county or your area and getting through some of those mental blocks or just being able to handle that pressure, being the one that's supposed to be the best around and you keep moving forward. But now with the way things are set up, you can, you can be a nobody more or less. And I guess they call it buying your points and fly over to Nevada or fly over to Hawaii and play these tournaments. Um, Kids are, it's a lot of inflation. So it's fake. There's a lot of inflation of points shopping in other words the point system that's would be the why or the the claim the what's right. happening right there's points inflation because you have players that are flying around the country if they've got the means to do it and they're getting these points um so you mind if i jump well, in there very quickly folks yeah no, probably no, no. about for 10 years now the usta has been using a point system it basically comes down to our tournaments, all the tournaments are weighted, and kids go and play, and each round that they advance, different players that they beat, they get points. So everybody's keeping score on points. Now, for the administrator, all they'd have to do is go back and add up the points and say so-and-so's number one, so-and-so's number two. Well, let's take into consideration that football quarterback who was a great pitcher maybe on baseball team that plays tennis five months a year. He comes out, he wins the state championship, he wins the state closed. He's the best athlete, or she's the best athlete around. And then guess what? No, sorry, you're only ranked 21st in the state because you don't have enough points. So that pretty much is what's going on. That's what you're talking about, what, Coach Dave? Right, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And so there's no more – there's no natural climbing the ladder anymore. You can essentially, you can run before you walk. And 
when you but then you stumble because kicked. you're not ready for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Exactly. You know, that's exactly what I was gonna say. You're not ready to take on that responsibility, though. Um, and I think that could, that's one of many things that could be, if you were to go back to emphasizing local champions, to go on to the next level. Head-to-head head competition. Yeah. Correct. So, I that, that's a is looking at things to help fix that. That's that's where I would start. Head-to-head competition. Kids play for. Two reasons. They play for rivalries and tournaments of heritage. And um, they they play for those. They don't play for points. Parents do. And anyhow, we've been through this before. USTA, get your act together. Would you, would you please stop just doing it the computerization way, in a mechanical way? You're killing the motivation. All right. I said my piece. Thoughts, Coach Murray? Yeah, I'd say... For the juniors, especially in parents, if you're a parent listening to this, just know that success is not guaranteed, but it is received by those who are willing to pay the price. So if you are not willing to pay the price in developing your kid on and off the court, you will you will have fluctuation um, or what I like to call a lot of you know, attitudes or mood swings in a a junior career or your player's career that you may not want to see. You have to be willing to develop your junior or your son or daughter into a man or woman who's going to take pride in what they do on and off the court. If it's all about accomplishments, if it's all about points, you're not going to reach your goal. You're not going to be as successful as you want to be. It's not about success. It's about embracing the process and pursuing excellence. Well, well said, and, and more so, have you, have coaches, have you ever realized this, is that <clears throat> when you only do the points, you're basically teaching youngsters to be cafeteria competitors. That means they pick and choose when they want to try. They say, oh, big event. I'm going to really give it my best here. Oh, small event, not many points. This isn't important. Is that about the worst thing you could ever teach youngsters? If you're in business or anything, oh, I'm going to take care of this person because they're wealthy and they're going to buy a bigger product than this other person. It's the worst thing you could possibly do for motivation. Coach Fosnott, um, you're traveling with youngsters. Do you see things out there that motivate you? Come on, let's let's talk positive here. What what are you seeing out there that where you say, wait a minute, this youngster's getting it together or Wait a minute, this is working. Do you see anything out there that where you could say that? Um, no, there's there's always instances where you see kids that are that are coming through and starting to do things that are different. Um that's like I was talking with another coach the other day saying how when you walk when we walk into uh into the first round and you're looking around at all the different people on the site, you can kind of start separating the fat from the muscle right off the bat. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, really months, you, you start seeing kids kind of going to what uh, I heard stories of, of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer kind of going off and separating and doing things on their own, doing things different, uh, interesting drills, just small things to kind of get their head right. But there, there's inspiration out there. See some good stuff. Well, good, good. Coach, Coach Murray, Gaston. 
one of the things that I was reminded of when you asked the question, Coach, when I went to Birmingham, Alabama with the Citadel team this year, and one of the things I was reminded of was to talk with the guys before they compete and after they compete, just so they understand their goals and what they're accomplishing. I think, and Dave, you might see this a lot too, juniors are just coming out on the court with no game plan, no strategy, no real confident mindset of how they want to compete. And unfortunately, I think that also stems back to the parents as well too, because it's almost like we're just prostituting kids and we're giving them these tools and these equipments and saying, hey, be great. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that, that way. Uh, I wish that I can talk to parents more, but it's almost like a hype fest that we're seeing, especially with even the USTA, uh, money involved. We talk about points, you know, traveling. Like Coach said, people pick and choose how they want to compete, where they can travel, where they want to get their points how they want to approach the game, but very few people are in love with the game to train hard at it, work hard, and not expect anything in return until it's time to. Coach? Coach Dave, what's your thoughts, sir? No, I mean, I think he's he's on point with every bit of that. Um, It's in the end, going forward, if we need to see or to get improvement, it's got to start from the bottom up, um, and it, ha- it has to be done through effort. And I think it was this, this was touched on earlier. We're, we're starting to reward, uh, we're rewarding effort when effort needs to be expected. It needs to be rewarded through merit. And that, that's where we get back to the merit-based systems of why something's accomplished. I think the work ethic side of things can start clearing up. Too many participation awards, right? Correct. When when we go to tournaments, these kids, it's amazing there's local tournaments put on here. They give out like eight plaques to kids if you make the quarterfinals a lot of times. Always yeah. six or something, the runner-up in the back draw. And, and uh, you know, it's amazing, but kids get used to not I think you're saying they never fail so they never have to experience that sting of defeat and that is actually what makes youngsters go back and work hard you you work hard parents listen to this one for sure you work harder when you hate losing you've got to hate losing but never be afraid of it that is a fine fine balance if you're afraid of losing you won't play but you've got to hate it. You've got to love playing, but hate losing. And our youngsters don't hate losing because we prop them up. Every time we go through a process of a tournament, we give the hard trier the happiest loser to sportsmanship trophy, and then the hard trier award, and we, we do all the, all of these participation awards, and it is killing motivation. Do you feel that way, Coach Dave? A hundred percent. I mean, work ethic begins with overcoming failure. And when you take, when you take the failure aspect away, it's hard for kids to really learn how, how to work hard or why they're working for something. 
Um, and, and it's all it's it's taking out the why when you take out the failure. But yeah, no, that's that's uh. Well, let's go to the to the reasons far other than that. <clears throat> uh, any of you have any? Okay, I've got down here. Talk about the cell phone attention span part of it. Um, can I tell a quick story real quick? I'm gonna jump in there. Coach Josh Goffey up University of South Carolina told a great story to our team, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, about his experience coming up in in having a great opportunity to play number one at the Clemson team when he was playing at Clemson. And he talked about being put at number one, uh, I forget, in a match out of Texas, maybe it was TCU or somewhere, but he, he said it was his first time up there and he got nosebleed. He got scared. He froze, he got smacked, 6261. And then, but what he said after that was a very simple here are the emotions I went through in the next two hours. First of all, I was embarrassed. I wanted to hide. Then I got mad. I went and hid behind the tennis center. Then I got mad and broke a racket. Then I was embarrassed some more, and I felt like I was letting my team down, but I. I didn't do I didn't do the right things then. Then I was defiant about some things. Then I went through a whole process in the van, sitting in the back of the van, riding over to Arlington, Texas, where the hotel was at, going through this just self-incriminating guilt over letting the team down. But but he said by the time I finally got to the hotel. I pulled out my journal and started writing a few things down. My second serve broke down, and my my uh, my backhand he picked on my backhand a lot. And then he said I was still mad. I got out of the van. I went and ran two miles, and then I came back. He said, "All you guys, do not do those things that it takes to be a tennis player, and to change a losing attitude into a winning attitude." because your cell phones. And then he goes through a process of talking about how even to have a Snapchat or something or just a, hey, a text from somebody, it interrupts the process of a threshold moment. He called it a threshold moment, which was fantastic. And he, he talked about that. And I thought it was very revealing. He said he has the players put their cell phones away. By the way, Coaches, parents, never let your youngsters have a cell phone on the court. I don't care how many pros walk out there listening to their earbuds, listening to some music to get them in the mood to play. Do not let your youngster come out there and play uh, their matches and have that cell phone around. And uh, it, it's just critical. He says one hour before, one hour after. He never has his cell phone out there. Coach, what do you, you have some thoughts there, Coach Murray? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I say obviously I'm a little bit different than Coach and a little new school. I don't mind necessarily, you know, kind of the cell phone usage. However, I speak to the example of Coco Golf when I was with her. And she was a great personality. Um, a person to be around, and she was on the field. You know, she'd have her 
itself and out, do her own thing, listen to music. But as soon as she got on the court, when it was time to practice and train, she was locked in. So there's a switch that needs to be made when you step on the court. There's a switch that needs but to be made. But can everybody do that? I guess everybody, that's, but the that's the problem, yeah. Now, everyone, now, can everyone do that? No. So to Coach's point, if you have a kid <clears throat> whose attention span is not as good, you have to start eliminating things that would take his or her attention away from focusing on the game. Everybody's different. Everyone has a different personality. Everyone has different ways of training. Everyone has different methods of how they get focused. For example, one of the things that my dad told me to do before every match is visualize. Visualize yourself playing and doing the right things well before you step on the court. And I believe that works. I believe most people should do that. However, everyone doesn't do that. Some people might want, you know, that 30-minute hour warm-up before the match. They want to be sweating like crazy. They want to be running and gassing themselves before they step on the court. So it's really a matter of finding uh, your perspective, then at the same time honoring the game as well. Your routine is different for everybody. I mean, uh, it's true. It's true. If you're a little higher strung, uh, shoot, I've I've seen players, and I used to go run a mile before the match, just so that I would get the nerves right, and and things, uh, and and people have to do different things according to themselves. Some people might listen to it, but the minute if you're not getting those threshold moments, that's that's the tragedy. If you're not getting the pro- learning process from it, from it. So what uh, what other stuff? What what would you think about? You already talked about parents' expectations. A lot has to do with it. I think it sounds like your father was pretty well balanced. He wanted you to learn it, but you can see that, right? Parents watch a little TV, and they said, my youngster can do that. I'm going to sink some money in there, and I'm going to have them train, and, uh, you know, they're going to be a star. So parents' expectation, I guess, would be one, one of the things. What about the... We've refereed up to that I have down here. We overuse referees. We have too many referees out there. It's sort of a even in juniors, it's like a military situation, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hit or miss situation. Sometimes when I was a junior, Dave probably knows this too. I wish more refs, and then there's other tournaments where you're like, okay, I need less less refs. I don't need this official on the court, and then it all comes down to who you're playing, where you're at, and that can play mind tricks on you as well. Sometimes less is more, where you don't need so many people on the course or so many officials always visiting your court. There's always a lack of trust when it comes to USTA tournaments. I think even in warm-ups when I was playing men's opens, you know, futures, especially men's opens, it was like refs were hounding us as if we didn't know how to right. hit for five minutes, serve, volley. I mean, right. we've right. grown up learning how to do this all our life, but still you see uh, the trust value is not as good as it should be. Right, right. I think we, uh, uh, what would we say? We ref, ref them up. We over-referee everything. We over, you know, everyone knows that too. Everyone knows that. The uh, situation is that 
kids do better when they don't have too many hand too many handcuffs on. They do better. Yeah, there too too many too many rules regulations. And as adults, again, we're seeing it through our eyes instead of the eyes that of the youngster. Let's let the kids play tennis. But would you say that, Coach Dave, that we have too many referees watching, uh, you know, just over micromanaging the kids play? And they're, you know, I, I, I just got to tell a quick story. My son, when he goes plays baseball, do you know they get to play four games in two-day weekend always? Sometimes he gets to play five, two on Friday, three on Sunday or Saturday. It's three on Sunday, two on Saturday. I absolutely love it. It was pouring down rain in the tournament they had in Charlotte, and the kids played two innings with it pouring down rain because they wanted to get the tournament in. And the, the kids were having a ball playing it. I mean, they had to stop it finally. But do we overregulate, Coach Dave? Are we overregulating everything? Coach? Coach Dave? Okay, I must have lost Coach Dave. Hey, you there? Okay, good. Got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Coach? Are we overregulating everything? Well, I, I think uh, that's where a lot of it does start. Um, a lot of my best memories are you're going to the three matches a day. That, that's where a lot of your your toughness is built. Uh, that's And when, when you take your ability to be tough away, then you don't really learn how to do <laughs> much of anything. When you um, lower the bar where I everybody think. gets over, we champion the weak, then we weaken the real champions. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they lowered the bar. Let's face it. They lowered the bar as a sport. So... I mean, what do we what do we do that? We just need to – the one thing is the referee, if they've, they've got so many restrictions now, they're about to put themselves out of business. If you're a referee listening to this, you guys got to let the kids play. You guys got to let them play. The micromanaging doesn't cut it for parents, doesn't cut it for kids, doesn't cut it for the sport, you know, for sure. You know, so let's go. We've got about seven or eight minutes left here. I want to tame it, name it. And we claim it. Let's tame it. What do we need to do? I've got down here too much top-down management from the USTA. Too much top-down from the ITA. Those guys are just, you know, come on. You know, you guys over-regulate everything, and then, you know, we don't have any freedom. Rules and regulations never, never keep a bad person from breaking rules and regulations. Too many rules and regulations only stimulates the level of deviance in people who are bad. But what it does is it paralyzes good people from being creative. I mean, I, I, that's my thought on thing. What do we need to do to make the situation better, uh, Coach Gaston? Yeah, I'd say that we probably would need to gather probably all the leaders of tennis, whether their directors, coaches, professional players, and kind of bring back the mindset of why, you know, people play the game. And and then from a standpoint, I guess, of, you know, people who, who work for the USTA, people who are contributing to the game, you know, what is their mindset? How are they trying to improve the game? Are, are they just in it for the money or 
are they just trying to regulate things based on their own ideas and opinions of tennis? Because the reality is, is that the indiv individuality of the sport of tennis uh, is something that has been missing. You know, people have been taking the beauty out of that. And what I mean by that is when you step onto the court, it's all you. It's not like you have everyone else. Yes, you have a coach. Yes, you have parents. Yes, you have other people who are supporting you. Yes, you might have an official on the court. You might be at your favorite home site. But when you step on the court, you have to be a manager of yourself. You're saying too many cooks spoil the broth. Yes. You have, <laughs> to, you have to be your own coach. I mean, I even think to even the uh, WGA where you have on-court coaching. And I'm That's not going even, you know, I'm not even too big of a fan of it. And it's not a knock against the WTA, but people don't realize when kids see that, they develop this belief factor that, oh, I need someone in my ear telling me what to do. When the reality is that tennis or the sport of tennis wasn't even built like that. It was built so you can trust automatically what your coaches already told you, trust your training, and then once you step on the court, you believe it and that's it. That is well, well said. Coach Dave, what do you think? I mean, too much micromanagement, and uh, <clears throat> we need to uh, let go. We need to just – I always tell parents to watch that movie, Searching for Bobby Fisher. It's about chess. I know, but it's obscure. You know, chess, who who goes to chess tournaments anymore? But the whole thing is about the chess tournaments. And what they ended up doing was locking all the parents out of the tournament. And they put all these parents and parents in a holding room. And where the kids had to do it on their own. And uh, we ought to have some tournaments that way. Just get the adults out of the room. Make the kids come at a tournament area, sign up, and then let them go out and play their match and have them report afterwards. What do you think? No, I think that's great. Um, making as much about opponent versus opponent versus opponent versus everything else that's going on. Would would help a lot of a lot of tennis uh, as a whole, especially at the junior level. Um, but going forward with a lot of that, got to start stripping it back down to its basics. Um, was exactly what Gaston was talking about. It's, the game was not developed to be what it is right now. And if you take it back to more traditional values of why we play the game, what we're trying to do with the game, that's the only way to really save it is to go back to what the way it was done before because we're not we're not getting smarter and there's, there's no such thing as a more entertaining game the game was built to be played this way and that we have to kind of hold the traditions true and that that's where the i think the regrowth could start here's what i'm uh here's what i'm suggesting to all of you people out there so that we can get everybody bottom up going again and get kids back to loving our sport the way they should not that they don't but you know, where they're aesthetically loving the sport for deeper reasons than just success. How about this? 32 kids show up at the facility. you got an eight-court complex. You're, all the adults stay on the outside. Nobody interferes. You have a desk on the outside of the thing. Tell the kids, here's the tournament, here's the draw sheet. <clears throat> Go get it done, two out of three sets. You guys figure it out, play that play that tournament, come results. If you have a problem, you work it out with your friends. Now, 
people would think that would be chaotic. And, oh, my gosh, there would be people cheating and the bullying and all that. But really, what would happen, really, <clears throat> it would settle. It would settle. That little kid that got bullied on, somebody would stick up for him. The guy who's the cheater would be called out, or the player that's the cheater would be called out. We never had referees for my first 10 years in coaching, folks. Never had referees. The players, it was on the players, and we never had a problem. If when We never had problems when, if we run a tournament now. I've never had a referee go to one of my challenge match courts on my team and solve the problem. <clears throat> I've always said, you guys work it out. And that's how players develop respect for each other. It's incredible. It sounds like that's way out there. But give it a try. You administrators listening to us, give it a try. Get the heck off the court and let the kids fight this out. They'll fall in love with it again. It'll be their sport. We got too many adults taking charge of everything. Coach Murray, any last thoughts here? I completely agree with you. You know, less is more mentality. Absolutely. Coach Fosnott, any last words? Coach Dave. Coach. I lost him again here. Oh, no, All right. No, got it back. No, okay, uh, okay. No, just, going back to traditional values is the that's that's kind of where I think we need to start. And that's that's the last that that's where it needs to go. All right, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Youngsters, if at first you don't succeed, it's not about changing the channel. Up, or right, I'll try something else. You try, try again. Fall in love with this sport. Parents, get out of the way. Point them in the direction. Say, go get it. But we over micromanage. We're trying to, get a, we're trying to give our kids adult values and adult know-how, and they don't need that. They need to fall in love with the sport. It's as simple as that. Any last thing, Coach Murray? Anything last? I got about 30 seconds here. I pursue <clears throat> excellence over success. Success is not guaranteed, but it is received by those who want to pay the price. Pay the price every day and be willing to embrace the unknown. Well said. And thank you, Coach Dave Fosnott, Coach Gaston Murray. Thank you guys for being on. And man, we're solving the problems of the world, the tennis world. Folks, get out there. Give your best every day. Help other people. Remember, you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life. It has very little to do with the winner or loss. Come.